is that really in the Bible? You live in a world where everyone has an opinion about the Bible. Of what values are your beliefs if they are not clearly found in the pages of your Bible? The question we must ask is, are your opinions and beliefs really found in the Bible? Well, hello, I'm David Freeman with Is That Really in the Bible? You know, I have had this question, the question we're going to address today, asked to me on several occasions. And, you know, I don't know why, you know, sometimes things that people are concerned about, you know, I never get a question like, why are we here? Uh, why did God create mankind? Uh, what is our purpose? What is our reason for being on planet Earth? What happens when you die? Uh, how, do you, how do I receive the Spirit of God? You know, if any man have not the Spirit of God, he is none of his. So you would think people would look at that and say, okay, how, a really important question is, how do I receive the Spirit of God? But you never get those, those questions. And, you know, and, and in my 20 years in ministry, Bible studies, I've never really liked Bible studies that much because if you open them up to the group, often what you will hear, that conversation is destined, believe me, it is destined to go down the road of some of the most trivial uh, questions, the most irrelevant things, you know, like did Adam have a navel? How deep is the sea of glass? If a fly lands in holy water, is the fly polluted or is the water sanctified? You know, and, and it just it, it just keeps, and you have to redirect that Bible study and say, wait a minute, this is not even the subject we're talking about. These trivial things are not important. So, and I've seen that happen again and again and again and again. But anyway, now I'm not saying this is a trivial question here because I've had, had people ask this on numerous occasions. Well, let's take a look at the question and we're going to answer it today. 1 Peter 3 and verse 18, For Christ also has once suffered for sin, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. By which... Now, this is 1 Peter 3 and verse 19, and this is the question. We're coming to the question. Here, here is the question. By which also he went, that is Jesus, and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometimes were disobedient when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was a preparing, wherein few, that is eight souls, were saved by water. So that's the question. Uh, what does this verse, when did Jesus do this? When did he go and preach to spirits in prison? So we're going to answer the questions today. When did Christ do this? Why did he preach to spirits in prison? Who are the spirits in prison? And where is this prison? Okay, we're going to address this today. We're going to answer this question. Now, mainstream teaching, if we want to stop for a moment and, and just view mainstream Christian, Christianity's teaching on this subject. Mainstream will say basically this, when Christ died, he didn't really die. Okay, you know, even though he said he'd be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights, he didn't really die. He went to preach to spirits in prisons, that is lost souls that are burning in hell. Okay, that's how mainstream Christianity interprets this verse that Jesus really never died, uh, even though Revelation 1 and verse 18 says, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and have the keys 
of hell and death. In other words, he has the keys. The word hell there is translated grave. Christ Jesus, now get this, has the key to the grave and death. Isn't that good news? That's some of the best news you'll ever hear. Because I want that key. I want to have a part of that key to the grave and death. Because I don't really want to die. I'm not crazy about dying. I'm not crazy about death. I'm not crazy about any of this stuff. You know? But Jesus Christ has the key to the grave and death. Meaning we can live again. So, okay. All right. Christ said he was alive and was dead. Mainstream says, no, he wasn't dead. He went, uh, when he was uh, put in the grave, he went to preach to spirits in prison, that is lost souls that were burning, that are now burning in hell. Now, I, I don't, if you follow that, that, that idiotic concept far enough, you think, okay, wh what, why? Uh, did he go there and say, hey, I told you so. I told you this is what's going to happen to you. You're going to burn in hell. You are burning in hell. Uh, did he go there to try to save them, these lost souls that are supposedly burning in hell? All right, you know, I, I, okay, you're going to have to ask your mainstream preacher about th these questions uh, to get the answer to that. But anyway, uh, let's set that convoluted idea on the shelf and see what the Bible really says. Okay, when did Christ go and speak to spirits in prison? All right, actually, you know, sometimes it's a good idea to just let the Bible interpret the Bible. In fact, that's a great idea. I'm glad I thought of that. You know, yeah, let the Bible interpret the Bible. Actually, this next verse tells us when Christ did this. All right, 1 Peter 3 and verse 20. When sometimes we're disobedient, when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was a preparing, wherein few, that is eight souls, were saved by water. So this tells us, we're asking the question, well, when did Christ do this? Go speak to these spirits in prison. Well, this tells us a time frame, all right? The time frame is in his pre-existent, existing state. Now get this, what I just said. In Christ's pre-existing state, he went to preach to these spirits in prison. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you know who Christ was or is in his was in his pre-existing state before he was born of a virgin Mary. All right, do you know who Christ was? Well, let's 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 let Jesus answer this question. Okay, here it is, John eight and verse fifty-six. <clears throat> Speaking to the Pharisees, it says, "Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad." Now this had to blow their minds. That that just that very statement. Okay. Then said the Jews unto him, Well, you are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Before Abraham was, I am. Now that little statement nearly got him killed because he, he is identifying his pre-existing state as one of the members of the family of God, the Father, and the son, identifying himself as the son, and saying, I existed before Abraham. Okay. Then took they up stones. Now, this enraged them because he was making himself equal with God or making himself a God in the flesh, and they couldn't stand that. Okay. They took up stones to cast at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, so passed by.
So what is Christ saying? He's saying, before Abraham, I existed. We're talking about Christ's pre-existence. Let's take a look at another verse, Genesis 1 and verse 26. And God said, let us, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Now, unless you believe that God was talking to himself, okay, maybe like an old grandfather in the sky, you know, maybe like, you know, Tim Conway used to do it on the Carol Burnett show. He would do the old man, you know, and he's always mumbling and sort of shuffling around like that. And maybe he was talking, let us create that man in our own image. And, and so maybe that's, maybe God was talking to himself. No, I'm just kidding. There, there are two members of the God family, father and son, and they're discussing our salvation. Okay. Which one of us, father or son, are going to go down there and die, become flesh, and die for their sins because they need a Savior. Which way? And Christ raised his hand and said, I'll do it. Okay? Now, 4,000 years later, he would empty himself, become nothing more than a male zygote, and be born of a virgin called Mary. Of course, I guess he had 4,000 years to think about it. Maybe 4,000 years to think, oh, one day i got to do that. And, and maybe he thought about backing out. I, I doubt, well, we're going to get to that. We're going to get to that, that thought of not doing it. But all of this was actually planned from the foundation of the world. But my point is he could have backed out, and a part of him wanted to. Lord, take this cup from me. Is there any other way to work this out. If there is another way to work this out without me going through this excruciating uh, crucifixion, beaten with a cat of nine tails, you know, if there's any way to go, other way to go through this, you know, reveal it, Lord, re re reveal it, Father. You know, some people think salvation is so easy. It's the easiest thing you ever do. It's easier than sliding down a grease fireman pole with butter on your hands. You know, that's the easiest thing to breathe. Okay, you got born again. You're safe. You know, this salvation, let me tell you what salvation is. It's, uh, it's your unconditional surrender to God. And if you think that's easy, you know, I got some swampland in the Mojave Desert, and I want to sell you real cheap. If you think unconditional surrender, you surrendering your will to God, it wasn't easy for Jesus. He, he said, Father, if there's some other way to work this out, let, let's work it out some other way. It wasn't easy for Christ. You know, me giving up my addiction, me giving up my will, me doing what God said, tells me to do is not easy. Unconditional surrender is never easy. And that's a part of the salvation package. You're not told that in church. I know you're not told that. You've never been told that in your entire life. You've, you've been told a lie your entire life that salvation is the easiest thing you will ever do in your life. Okay, well, let's take a look at Matthew 26 and verse 53. Talking about backing out. Don't you know that I could call on my father for help and and at once he would send me more than 12 armies of angels. Why didn't Christ at any given moment? Could have, that, that game of charades they were playing with him and, and smacking him about and, and beating him on the head and saying, blindfolding him and slapping him and say, who, you know, who hit you? That kangaroo court, he could have stopped at any minute. He could have called 12,000 armies of angels and just wiped them out. Why didn't he? Oh boy, if I'd have been in his shoes, I, I, 
I know. I would have said, let them die. Would you have raised your hand and said, I will go down there and die for their sins? You know, I saw on uh, the Facebook, it was a mother bird in a field. And here comes this huge piece of machinery, I guess plowing up the field. And here's this mother bird, and this huge piece of machinery straddles this bird. And, and, and the bird spreads out his wings, spreads her wings out over a little baby chicks or baby whatever they were, and doesn't move. And it shows, you know, the plow gets right up to the bird, and then the farmer sees, actually sees the, the bird, whatever kind of bird it was, and raises the lift, raises the plow, and it goes over its head and then drops it back down. But this mother bird was willing to stay there and sacrifice her life for her little baby chicks. Man, it's powerful. I don't know if you'd see that today with mothers, but, but you know, with all the abortions that go on. But, but I'm just kidding. Yeah, of course you will see it today. There are still godly mothers out there. Okay, I understand that. But I'm just trying to give this an example of what Christ did. So if Christ would have said, let them die, if he would not have gone through this, we would live out our 70 or 80 years on this earth, and that would be that. That would be the end of that. Your loved ones you would never see again. No resurrection from the dead. And with each generation, if Christ had not had sacrificed himself for us, with each generation that comes and goes, we would continue to degenerate to the point of extinction. We're almost there now, but, but anyway. All love, all relationships, all family, all hope of a better world would be lost. And that would be the end of that. If Christ Jesus would not have raised his hand and said, I will go down there and die for their sins. I will give my life for their life. This is what they deserve. But I'm step stepping up to the plate and taking their place. So we're talking about Christ's pre-existence. Okay. Christ's pre-existence. Before Abraham was, I existed with the Father, from the get-go, from the very beginning. The Word became flesh. Let's notice this. 1 John 1 and verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. Who was this Word? And the Word was with God. Okay. That's two members of the God family right there. And the Word was God. It's plain enough. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Two members of the God family. The same was in the beginning with God, yeah, Father and Son. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. Okay, He was in the world. Who was in the world? Jesus Christ. And the world was made by Him, and the world knew Him not. Yeah, don't deny what your Bible is telling you. Christ made every created everything. He was the instrument. Jesus Christ, the Son, was the instrument the Father used to create all things. Okay. He came into his own. Who came into his own? Christ Jesus. And his own received him not, speaking of the Jews. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Skipping on down to John 1 and verse 14. And the word was made flesh. Yes, the word that we identified in John 1 and verse 1, okay? The word was made flesh 
and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Don't deny what your Bible is telling you. We are talking about Christ's pre-existence. So when did God, Christ go and speak to spirits in prison? In his pre-existing state in the day, days of Noah when the ark was preparing. Okay, simple enough. Okay, now, who are the spirits in prison? Let's answer that question. Now, a good rule to go by in Bible study is, what does the Bible not say? All right, we're asking the question, who are these spirits in prison? All right, a good rule of Bible study is, is to say, okay, all right, it doesn't say men in prison. It doesn't say souls in prison. It says spirits, plural, with an S on the end, in prison. Now, when the Bible uh, refers to spirits, usually it's referring to the angelic realm or evil spirits. Remember, a third of the angels rebelled against God and became demons. So when it uses the word spirits, it's usually talking about angelic or the evil spirits, the spirit world. Okay, let's go back to this verse, 1 Peter 3 and verse 20, which sometimes were disobedient when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was a preparing. So this gives us a clue to what kind of spirits Christ was preaching to. He was pre preaching to demonic spirits, evil spirits, during the days of Noah, because it refers to them as disobedience. All right. Now remember what the world was like at this time in the days of Noah. Don't forget what, what type of world it was, sort of like our world today. Let's, let's take a look at it, Genesis 6 and verse 5. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. So I would say, you know, the world was pretty evil back then. And because when it says a statement like it repented the Lord that he even made man, a lot of demonic activity was going on back then. Evidently, the shield of protection God had lifted and actually allowed demonic activity, activity to influence mankind. And I think we are in that state today in America right now as I speak, that that shield of protection that normally would be there that keeps evil spirits at bay is being lifted and, and we are under a, a spiritual attack. You know, we've always been under a spiritual attack, but there is a shield of protection that God has placed on America, I think, for many, many, many years. And I think that shield is coming up because of the evil that you see all around you. <clears throat> all right. So where is this prison? Next question. Where is this prison? Well, 2 Peter 2 and verse 4 begins to answer this question. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved into judgment and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. Now, here again is this reference to Noah and the flood. And I take it again, I've already repeated this, but said it one time, but, but a lot of demonic activity was going on back then as man was influenced by 
evil spirits. 2 Peter 2 and verse 4, For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into chains of darkness, to be reserved unto judgment. Now the word hell there is Tartaru. It's only found, the definition of this word hell is only found one time in your Bible, and it's right here. The word is Tartaru. It means the deepest abyss. It's a binding place for evil spirits. I take it that some spirits are worse than others, which logically we, we, we could understand that even as human beings, but some of these evil spirits are worse than others. Now, fourth question, what did Jesus preach to these evil spirits in prison? You know, I don't know the answer to that because it's not recorded. Uh, they knew, now keep this in mind, they knew Christ before they rebelled. Before a third of the angels rebelled against God, they knew who Christ was in his pre-existing state. Father and Son together. And so instead of preaching, you know, I would call it a warning. You remember the demoniac that, that it was, the scripture talks about coming out of the tombs exceedingly fierce so that no man might pass by? And in Matthew 8 and verse 28, it says, And behold, they cried out, saying, what have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou son of God? Are thou come hither to torment us before our time? You know, this is a fascinating statement here that these demoniacs, these demons make. You know, thou, what do we do with these Jesus, thou son of God? They, they understood who he was, unlike a lot of people. They understood Christ's pre-existing state. That he was the Son of God, God the Father and Christ the Son. Two members of the God family together. Okay, Are you come here to torment us before our time? Referring to a future you know, day of judgment. Okay, so let's, uh, let's, let's begin to wrap this up. Okay, number one, when did Christ go and speak to spirits in prison? In the days of Noah, while the ark was preparing in his pre-existing state. Okay. Two, who are the spirits in prison? Evil spirits, originally angels that rebelled against God. Where is this prison? It's a place called hell, Tartaru, the deepest abyss, binding place for evil spirits. All right. Four, what did Jesus preach to these evil spirits in prison? Answer, I don't know. It's not recorded for us. Now, to conclude with, I want to just, just remind you of this, rehearse and go over this. You need to understand what I'm about to say. There are three different definitions of hell found in your Bible. The most common usage of the word hell simply means grave. Uh, and in, in the New Testament, I think it's Hades. In the Old Testament, it's Sheol. But uh, it just means grave. That's all it means. You know, uh, People used to talk about putting their potatoes in hell putting them in the grave, you know, under the dirt, whatever. All right, that's the most common usage of the word hell when you find it in, in your Bible. The second meaning of that word hell is Gehenna. And Gehenna is, was a literal valley in the Valley of Hinnom that was basically a smoldering, burning garbage dump where carcasses of dead animals and criminals were thrown off the edge and burned. And so when Jesus talk about, talked about being in danger of hell fire, he was talking about this word Gehenna. 
And the disciples could look south of Jerusalem and see the smoke boiling up. And they knew exactly what Christ was talking about. He was talking about being burned up. Not living forever in this place, but just being destroyed by fire. That's what, what he understood. And the third definition of hell is Tartaru. It's only found one time in your Bible. And this is the reference to a binding place, the abyss or binding place of evil spirits. So, first... The grave is where you are going when you die. You know, you might say, yeah, I am going to hell. <laughs> if you understand that that definition simply means grave. That's where you go. That's where your body goes when you die, in the grave. Second, Gehenna is where you are going if you don't repent. Okay? And that's not a good place. Gehenna fire. Okay. And third, Tartaru is a binding place. That word hell means a binding place for evil spirits until the day of judgment. I'm David Freeman, and that's what's really in your Bible. Sometimes learning more about God is simply unlearning what someone else has told you about God. So in order to develop a deeper relationship with God, you must unlearn what you have learned. Only about a third of the world's population claim to be Christian, and the numbers are falling. If Christianity is getting smaller, that can only mean hell is getting larger. Does this really mean that God will consign at least 60% of humanity to a never-ending burning hell when they die? Is this really the action of a just and merciful God? The common teaching of hell is really a mistaken tradition that has replaced what the Bible actually reveals about life, death, and God's plan of salvation. It has extinguished the real hope that God offers for everyone who has ever lived. There are simple biblical truths that open up new avenues of understanding about how God treats everyone with respect and justice. 60% of humanity is not going to be tormented forever in a burning hell fire. Order your free book entitled, If God So Loved the World, Why Are So Many People Going to Hell? Order by writing to Church of God Rocky Mount, 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151. That's Church of God Rocky Mount, 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151. Also, visit us on the web at isthatreallyinthebible.net. If you would like a free DVD recording of this program that you can share with friends and loved ones, write to Church of God Rocky Mount, 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151. That's Church of God Rocky Mount, 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151. And be sure to mention the title of this program. For more information, check us out online at isthatreallyinthebible.net. Listen to the podcast, watch the weekly program, worship with us on our weekly Sabbath service, and be sure to visit our free bookstore. Again, the website is is that really in the Bible dot net?